to John chapter 6 as we continue our study of John's gospel. A long text today, verse picking up in verse 22, reading all the way down through 59, the larger portion of the bread of life discourse. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you for this, your word. Would you help us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Lord, we come together gathered as hungry and thirsty people in this life. Would you use this time to reveal false hungers and false thirsts? Wells that will never satisfy, food that will leave us hungry. And so point us to yourself, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Did you ever try the experiment with McDonald's hamburgers? We did this years ago, I think when I was in college. There was some science experiment. They were talking about how long food can last. And one of us, I don't remember which one, one of my college buddies took a McDonald's cheeseburger and just set it on the counter and was like, hey, hands off the cheeseburger. We're just going to see what happens. It is utterly amazing how long that thing will last. I think it was weeks. Like, it just doesn't look like it, it deteriorates at all. Like, you could come in two weeks later and just dig into the cheeseburger. But it is, it is not good food. Just because it looks like it lasts, it actually doesn't. It's just, it's just gross. In some senses, the, the text in front of us today is about food that preserves forever. It really is a remarkable thing to, to think and consider. And in, in doing that, it, it reveals, it, 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 this text layers two approaches to life. One approach is this, utter dependence on Christ and him alone. That's one choice that is given to us in this text. And the other choice is also utterly clear. And that is utter futility. Futility. Those who are dependent on Jesus aren't uh, encouraged or discouraged by circumstances because they know that God knows what is best. They rest in the sovereign shepherd. and He delivers the best every single time. The other option is to trust in human wisdom and seeing things the way the world sees them. And this includes the world's view of Jesus, by the way. Those trusting in themselves have to judge anything and everything and everyone to determine what is best based on appearances. This is what it means to be wise in our own eyes. 
similar to the way a superhero power works. I'm not a huge superhero guy, but I know this much. Some of them just have powers. Like whether you get bit by a spider, like the power is coming from the outside in, or they do some kind of weird experiment on you, and for the, the next hundred years, you're like popping out into the Hulk or whatnot. Other superheroes, though, like Batman, right, he, he just has a whole ton of resources and a real high moral tone or a high sense of justice, right and wrong, and he has that power within himself. In some ways, that's what this text is, is peeling back the layers of. Who is enough? What is enough? What do we really actually need? I think that, that thought of who's in control, the where does the power come from? I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing with the crowd this week. We saw a little bit of this before. If you seek Jesus just for what he can give you, that, that puts you in a category with this crowd. But if you seek Jesus for who he is, that's a totally different category. What are we really hungry for? So far in John's gospel, we've seen John labor at a central point and none is higher than this, that, that Jesus is in fact God. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus does incredible signs. The first sign, turning water into wine. We see the disciples overwhelmed and they believe. The second sign, the healing of the official son. Again, we see this connecting dots with this individual and he believes. The third sign, though, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda didn't go as well. You remember the conclusion of that. The Jews were ready to kill Jesus. Hey, you've gone from this miracle to saying that you and the Father are one. We don't like that until we want to kill you. And again, this fourth sign, we have um, the, the feeding of the 5,000. And the question is, what are they going to do with it? Are they going to get it? Are they going to get Jesus or not? Will their perspective be human wisdom or will they listen to God's wisdom Will they lean not on their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledge this Christ and be led by him? How should they interpret this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? That's a great question for us, and that's what the Bread of Life discourse is all about. It's Jesus himself interpreting for us. The question then comes directly to us today, and that is... What are we going to do with this Jesus? How are we going to respond to him? Which Jesus are we taking on board? A couple of weeks ago, we referenced the glories, the glorious realities of this being an echo of God's people being led in the Exodus across the water to the mountain to meet from and hear from God? Did that go well? No, if you remember back, it didn't go well. Not long after this incredible meeting with God and Moses coming down with the tablets, what happened? Tablet smash, chaos breaking out. People, not long later, we're going to hear people grumbling and complaining, arguing with Moses.
Moses putting God himself on trial? So what should we expect on the back end of the feeding of the 5,000? We saw, saw all these beautiful, glorious realities of the connection of Jesus leading a better exodus. Should we expect that things would go better for him? No. No, we should also expect grumbling and arguing and complaining and pushback. And in his answers, we should learn something about who he is and who we are in the process. There's no doubt that people knew what had happened was a miracle. They acknowledged Jesus as a great prophet, and they, in fact, want to make him king. He took these five loaves and two fish and fed thousands. Let's make him king. So they didn't miss the sign itself. It opens with a mystery. Where did he go? The disciples got into the boat and they left. Jesus, we never saw you. We kind of waited on this side of the sea all night and no Jesus. That's where things start here. And then there are six interactions of Jesus with the crowd. We're just going to talk about each one of those in turn. Here's the first interaction, verses 25 to 29. It begins with the people who either walked back or took boats back across the sea. They finally see Jesus. They're like, hey, where were you? Where were you? The attention is on the fact that somehow he had gotten back across the sea and yet they never saw him. We, of course, are clued into the fact that we actually know the story. Right At night, when he was unnoticed, he, he walked out onto a stormy sea to go take care of his disciples. Jesus does something that we often see him do, and that is he's not trying to get around their question. He's going straight to the heart He's largely ignoring their question. But it's to get to the, the heart of the, the matter. Where were you? He doesn't go into where he was. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So he's telling everybody to take a permanent vacation, right? To stop their vocations. No, that's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is to the crowd, listen, you are hungry for something in life that the ways that you are going about filling that hunger will never, ever satisfy you. For some of us here, it, it actually could be our jobs. Hey, I'm seeking satisfaction in my job. And Jesus is saying, stop it. Yes, do your job, be good at your job, but your job will never give you lasting life. He's going straight at their heart. He's saying, stop working for this, something that will be meaning in your, your life, that will give you satisfaction, that will, that will make you whole and complete. Stop it, because it will not satisfy People are clamoring for Jesus. But they don't really know what they're clamoring for. No doubt it was an easy meal. How incredible would it be? You know, we think 
times are tough now and shelves aren't as stocked as they were, you know, a year ago or, you know, all these supply chain issues. Think about this day and age. Think about the difficulty of just providing a meal. They saw something amazing here. Hey, hey, you, you did something amazing. And Jesus is saying, that's not the amazing thing. That was always ever meant to point you further, to point to something else. He rebukes them. And he's essentially saying two things, like your life is going to be marked by futility. If you continue laboring for things in this life to, to satisfy you, if you continue plowing the same field again and again and again, thinking that somehow you will have joy, somehow your life will have meaning, you won't feel any futility. He's saying you're barking up the wrong tree. It's not about a free meal. Either futility or the, the other option, working toward eternal life, which only the Son of Man can give. That's the other option. You either work in this direction and land yourself in futility, or you work in this direction and you land in life. How many of us today can resonate with the futility of working for other ends? You remember the movie Chariots of Fire? If you have never seen it, you could plug your ears for a minute because you need to watch it and you need to hear some of the great lines in it. In that movie, there's uh, the, 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 the main character, Eric Little. He runs with this beautiful motive to, to feel God's pleasure. Right, but the, the antagonist in the story, I, I really find him very compelling too, Harold Abraham, he has a different perspective. There's two quotes I want to give you from him. Listen to these quotes. Quote, he's talking to a friend here. You, Aubrey, are my most complete man. You're brave, compassionate, kind, a coherent man. That is your secret. Contentment. I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I'm chasing, end quote. Forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. One more quote. And now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? End quote. Four feet wide lane, ten lonely seconds to justify my existence, but will I do it? This is exactly what Jesus is talking about to the crowds. It's this kind of futility. It's going to leave you empty time and time again. This is exactly what this striving that Jesus is talking about. Evaluate your own life. Maybe it's 10 lonely seconds of pleasure. Maybe it's 10 days of crippling anxiety and depression. Maybe it's a 10 month just haul in your, your marriage where you're seeking for something to, to, to fill you, to, to make you feel right and good, and it just doesn't. Maybe it's 10 years. What is it for you?
In this first interaction with Jesus, he cuts to the chase. What do you want from me? Do you really want the eternal son of man or do you want something else? What are you chasing? What are you striving after? In some senses, the whole Bible can be seen seen along these lines of hunger and a meal. We, We see this very thing in the garden, don't we? The prohibition to to eat from this fruit. God says you can have everything else in this garden except for this one. And at the end, they're, they're tempted, but at the end, Adam and Eve make this choice. They say, my hunger, my appetite is what's going to define me. They take and they eat. We know the rest, right? It leads to futility. This is what being driven by our own hungers does. Leads to futility. That leads to this second exchange. I think if we can get this one, we can understand much of the rest of this text. So they get it. They hear Jesus. You laid out the options. Great, Jesus. One is futility and the other is you. So they ask this question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Because remember, Jesus said, do the works of God. Don't work over here, work over here. You're like, hey, time out a minute. You spend a lot of your ministry telling me that salvation is not by works. And suddenly Jesus is saying, work. Like, who's right? I'm glad you asked. Let's let's read on. So they ask, okay, great, we'll take option B. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Belief is the work of God. Faith is the work of God in the lives of his people. Listen to their heart. Okay, Jesus, we got you. We're working and pedaling in the wrong direction, and you're telling us to pedal in a new direction. Just tell us what direction to do. And he doesn't let him off the hook at all. This is his central point. Believe. You want to pedal in a new direction? Believe. Have faith. See me, Jesus is saying. See me. Want me for who I am, not for what you can get from me. Want me. Believe in the one sent by God. Believe is the work that you are to do. Not just any faith, but faith in the correct object. Jesus alone is the one who is sent from heaven. He is the only option that will fill these empty hearts. One commentator puts it like this. Jesus is supremely the one who reveals God to us. Precisely because unlike other, any other person, he has been in the courts of heaven and has been sent from there so that the world might be saved through him. This isn't just some random belief out there. Stop pursuing over here and believe something spiritual over here. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying something very exclusive. Believe in the only one whom God has sent from heaven. There's only been one of those. Jesus is the the beautiful object of our faith. As we see time and time again in John's gospel, he's tying together these huge themes of who Jesus is, eternally existent with God, who is God. Jesus has come into the world to live and to die and rise. 
application for us as is the very same as the crowds. So you're telling me that I'm digging and pulling for futility. Well, give me the answer then. Believe. Believe. Because our hearts are so prone to, to attach themselves to just something to do. That's way easier. There's a song lyric years ago from Derek Webb. It goes like this. Don't teach me about politics and government. Just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me about truth and beauty. Just label my music. Don't teach me how to live like a free man. Just give me a new law. I don't want to know if the answers aren't easy. So just bring them down from the mountain to me. I want a new law. I need a new law. I think this is our hearts. Jesus is saying, here's the one work you're called on to do. Believe. Believe what I'm saying about myself. And the people are just willing to be given a new law. Just something else to do. And our hearts are bent in the same direction. It's so much easier. Preacher, just tell us what to do so we can go home. That is not what this is about. Jesus is saying all that stuff is going to leave you starving. It's only me that will satisfy. That leads to this third exchange. So they said to him, okay, what sign do you do? It's, it's just a, it's really a ridiculous question. What sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you hear something of your own heart in here? Okay, I believe. Just give me a sign. This is the same crowd, if we're to hear the, the narrative correctly, who just saw the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, Jesus, we'll get it. What sign do you do? Prove it. What did he just say to do? He just said to believe. And they say, prove it. He will. He will prove it. He will prove it in his righteous life. He will prove it in his sacrificial death on the cross. And he will prove it in his glorious resurrection. They want a sign and they point back to Moses and the manna. This is, this is the problem with building faith on signs, by the way. And you see it time and time again in scripture and time and time again in our lives today. That if your faith is built on signs and laying out fleeces and all the other things that you want to see, you are going to struggle. God doesn't owe you a sign. He's given one, his son. If you base your faith on signs, it will never be enough. It wasn't enough for the, the, the people in the wilderness. We heard the, 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 the account grumbling and complaining because of the manna. They're viewing this with rose-colored glasses. Jesus, remember how great that sign was back there? Jesus comes at them with the corrective. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
He corrects him on one front. Moses didn't do that. God did. And the second front that he corrects them on is the bread that you really need is the bread that God gives, which comes down from heaven. We've seen this expression time and time again of Jesus. He is the place where heaven touches earth. He is the beatific vision. This is him. He said, you're looking for something else, but it's me you really need. Imagine the things that these people had seen being around Jesus. We're given seven signs, but John says at the end, you could fill the whole world up with all that Jesus did in the span of his life on earth. Imagine the things that they were seeing. Yet there's never enough. They're not accepting Jesus having come down from the Father. And this statement about his identity as the one who came down from the Father leads to the fourth exchange. People ask for bread from heaven, Maybe expecting manna again, Jesus, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Hear what Jesus is saying very clearly. Because this is each of us in this room. We're all hungry and thirsty, and I don't mean for physical food. We long for satisfaction. We long for things to be right. We know they're not right inside of our hearts. We know that our circumstances are crazy and out of control. Even if everything is great for you this morning, you still know that you're hungry and thirsty. And Jesus is saying there's only one place to fill that. And it's in him alone. This is first of these I am statements I am the bread of life hungry people here people dissatisfied with life struggling with life eat of Jesus it means take him in receive him by faith the work of God that we believe in him there is certainly sacramental elements throughout this text pointing us time and time again that this sacrament stands as a defiant act in this world. With everything out there clamoring for us, what, what gets the job done? The word, the sacraments, prayer, the ordinary means of God's grace in our lives. Jesus said to them, the real bread is, that's greater than manna is already here, and it's Jesus himself. This theme will dominate the remainder of the passage. We're not going to read every verse. Let me just list some of these things that Jesus says. I am the bread of life. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. I will never cast them out. I came down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. I will raise him up on the last day. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. The bread that I will give is the life give the life of the world as my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up. Again and again and again, very repetitive to the crowd. Over and over and over, like any good teacher, if you want to make it stick, say it 20 times, and he does. Time and time again, he says, you are living in futility. Come, eat of me, drink of me. 
Jesus is acknowledging their hunger. But time and time again, he's saying he's the only cure for their hunger. Is God so big that he built into his created order an illustration of our need for him? I think that's exactly what he did. He just did an experiment and said, I'm just not going to eat food anymore. How would that go? Or if he started right now and said, I'm never going to drink anything ever again. It's not going to go well. You see, he's embedded in who we are as creatures, this, this metaphor, this snapshot, this picture of our need for him. Every time you feel yourself hungry and longing for something to eat, every time you feel yourself thirsty and you need a drink of water, remember where that hunger and thirst points you. It points you to your need for Christ. It's an illustration built in that God has given us. And he's saying, I'm explaining it right here, right now. This is why there is such a thing as hunger. This is why there is such a thing as thirst. I'm the only one who will ever satisfy you. He goes on to tell us who is and isn't going to get it. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is Jesus' security. He's saying this very clearly. Salvation is a done deal. You're not going to get it on your own. The Father is going to come snatch you and bring you to me, and I will never cast you out. John Murray says this is the, on the crest of the wave of God's sovereign grace that the free overtures of the gospel break upon the shores of lost humanity. How in the world does grace save anybody? God does it. God does this work. How are we able to eat this bread? The Father takes us by sovereign will and power and, and feeds us of Jesus. You ever struggle with the certainty of your salvation? Wrestle with the question of whether, whether I'm really in or really out? I feel like I've believed, but I, my, my life is displaying these other things. How do I know? The answer is that this bread, this salvation, is a covenant bond hidden in the heart of the Trinity itself. God says, I will accomplish this. Jesus says, I will redeem them. The Spirit says, I will apply it. It is done. Your security doesn't come from the amount of your faith on any given day. It's rooted in God himself. Is he trustworthy? Jesus here is making two points about salvation. That faith is granted from above and not something we generate inside of us. We can't manufacture it apart from the Spirit's work in us. We get no credit. We get zero glory for coming and eating of this bread and drinking of life from Christ. No credit. Salvation is rooted in the Trinity and it makes it utterly and completely secure. God chooses. Again, Christ redeems. The Spirit applies. It is done. Further, Jesus making this connection, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. 
salvation, this bread of God, this, this um, life-giving water that he offers is sure in him. So I can confidently say those of you in Christ have eternal life. Jesus says it. You will be raised on the last day. How do I know? Because it's God's work. It's his work. Again, Jesus connects himself with the Father. How did that go the last time? Back in chapter 5, the, the disputation with the Jews, how did that go the last time? He makes this tight link between him and God the Father. They wanted to kill him. Here we go again. In our fifth exchange, we see this connection with the Father leading to the same thing in 41 and 42. The Jews grumbled about him, the very same word in the Old Testament. They grumbled about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his mom and dad. We played wiffle ball with him. Bat him over to hang out and spend time with us. How is he the bread from heaven? See, there's a vast misunderstanding. They, they go to the, their familiarity with him. We're comfortable with this Jesus that we know as long as we can contain him. We know his father. We know his mother. He is just like us. We know him. This familiarity, breeding contempt for Jesus. Who is he? Who does he think he is? And they're grumbling against God just as they did in the wilderness. You might be able to understand why they're grumbling. People tend to grumble continually about this uh, application of Jesus. Him saying, look, salvation is completely rooted in God and going to be accomplished by me. They grumble. Who does he think he is? Salvation is all of grace or nothing. All of grace. There is no salvation. All God's work or futility. They're hearing Jesus say this. Martin Lloyd Jones once described a Christian, quote, a Christian is a man or woman whose mouth has been shut. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's shutting mouths. You bring nothing to the table but your sin. He's reflecting on Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. He's bringing them to account. So if it's not the works of uh, the flesh and it's God's work, then what is there for us to do? Jesus tells us in a rather horrifying verse, 48, I am the bread of life. 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Hang on a minute. Time out. Jesus is explaining a bit more, and now he's saying, you have to, you have to eat of me. My, he brings his flesh into it. What in the world is he talking about? 
He's saying, you won't, you won't be able to take credit for any of this. It's all going to be of me, but you must take me in to yourself. And he's talking about giving his body up to the tree on the cross. His broken body for his people. His shed blood to give us drink. This hard statement of Jesus. The sixth exchange the Jews disputed among themselves. So he's getting... He's leveling up, doubling down each time they grumble or dispute. It's it's only getting worse and worse for them. The Jews disputed among themselves. They argued. This is the other side of grumbling. This is what Israel is known for in the wilderness. They grumble and they argue. That's exactly what they're doing here. They disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're keeping the conversation still doing this in the realm of the physical. They're still doing it. They're still thinking about works. They're still thinking about being fed. They're still thinking about their full belly from the day before. How in the world does Jesus want us to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Is he going to be cannibalized? Have you ever read an incredible book? seen an incredible movie, had an incredible meal, and the, the term is, oh, I just ate it up. I devoured it. Meaning I took in every single drop of meaning or enjoyed every single crumb, every drop of wine. It was incredible, and I ate it up. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Savoring him, taking him in by faith, believing in him, not in your own efforts, but in him alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Rather than letting them off the hook for this hard statement, Jesus again doubles down, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Have you taken Jesus in? These are hard words, and we're going to hear a response to this next week on the tail end of this discourse. But how do these things strike you? Is it hard? This is the reality for us today. There are two ways to life. One ends in futility, looking again and again and again for things in this life to satisfy, and that will leave you empty hungry and thirsty for more, 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 more. And the world is out there saying, yep, come pursue this, pursue this, pursue this, more, more, more. And Jesus is saying it's futile. It's empty. And the other side of the equation is him. He's saying, take me in. Believe. So what will we do with this sign of Jesus? Will we get stuck at it? Look how amazing. He just fed all these people. Or will we hear the true meaning of Jesus inviting even us today? This is why this miracle is so much bigger. He's inviting us today, Grace Presbyterian Church, those of you visiting here, he's inviting us to eat and drink of him and so be full. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. Would we respond to your invitation to eat and drink of you? 
Lord, as we receive your sacrament in a moment, would you reorient the hungers of our hearts? So shape us. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.